It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down Hey, folks, live from a shared universe podcast studio in Eatontown, New Jersey. Mike and Ming take great care of us. Kahuna's is behind the ones and twos. LP's in the building, and I'm your host, KP Burke. Welcome to the first Patreon exclusive American Loser, baby. All right, we're Oof. we're doing things. Life is good right now. I do always say that Mike and Ming take great care of us, but uh, Kahuna, there's some other people that have been taking excellent care of us. There has. Yes. So when this podcast first started, uh, we didn't know you. People think that we've known you for years because that's just kind of how quickly we kind of uh, became kindred spirits. But Once you started making Muppet references, it was all bets were off. Yep. Was like... But that was our problem. See, the, the issue is our first episode was about Grover Cleveland. And as soon as we said Grover, <laughs> look, what? <laughs> so. And that was all bets are off. <laughs> That's what happens when you make me talk. Yeah. But, dude, uh, it, it's, I'm so glad we did because we threw to you just because it's, it's awkward to have a sound engineer in the room you don't acknowledge. And then now here you are a part of the show with people that are – uh, following a some of your other endeavors, you know, let's not forget Kahuna is a filmmaker, a uh, very talented writer, and uh, even a musician too. Um, we don't give away your uh, your alter ego, but some people have figured it out. Some people have figured it out. <laughs> you know what? Maybe since this is Patreon exclusive, maybe one day we'll let them know. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. If you, you well, that'll be another tier. We'll tell you where Kahuna lives. <laughs> Reveal the secret identity. 20 bucks will give you my where, address. Where is, the, where is the Kahuna Bat Cave? Exactly. So, and if you don't donate, I will send you nude photos of myself. Okay. Um, oof, oof. <laughs> That's oof, scary. Wow. That's right. Parts of it are nice, all right, but other parts, <laughs> melting candle. Um, oh, come on, man. So. No one wants to know that. And but, there, we, there we lost all our all our. Patreon. Yeah, you, uh, you, you literally just saw Stu Greenberg go, oh, well, they had a good run, didn't they? So, uh, but <laughs> I do have a list of names. End. I got a list of names, LP, because when this show first started, I remember you and I getting excited on uh, SoundCloud when we got more than 50 listens. Uh, we are now approaching 50,000 listens. So life is good. The free show will continue to be free, but these are the people who have decided that they wanted to go above and beyond are, are true. I mean, I can't, I honestly can't thank you enough. I get a little misty eye talking about it. That my dumb passion project that uh, I came up with while driving a truck for Culligan Water Softening uh, is now a reality, okay? And uh, you guys understand Mike and Ming, they have a business to run. These guys, I consider both of them my friends. Uh, Mike, definitely my friend. Ming, my friend as long as I continue to pay the rent over here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But they've been integral to this whole thing. They gave us the kahuna. They gave us the means to do this. And they also helped promote us. So I'm excited here. Uh, This is us. You know, we're still with them, but this is our first big leap out on our own. This is scary, new, untreaded uh, territory for us, untreaded waters. And uh, I have to thank a couple of people. We wrote down the list of the people who have been helping us out. I want to say thank you so much to what we're going to refer to as the founding losers, okay? If you come in afterwards, we're still grateful for you, okay? You have an opportunity to be a, uh, you know, uh, an Andrew Jackson type or a William Henry Harrison type, but these are our day one founding fathers, the framers 
of, uh, of the Constitution that is the Patreon-exclusive episodes. These donations, by the way, guys, have paid for this session. So thank you so much for that. Uh, that, that takes less money out of my pocket and puts a little bit into Kahuna so that he can afford to continue to do uh, – this is a job for him. It's a fun job on this particular one. But uh, that being said, let's go ahead and thank these guys, and then we're going to get into our banger of a topic of an episode. Uh, our intention for Patreon, as you and me talked about, Dad, is there's some integrity losers people who really capture the, the spirit of, of the I'm loser show. <laughs> Sometimes people have noticed that we cover something very interesting that's not necessarily a loser, but we More can find a idea. way. Yeah, we can cover, you know, we can segue into why they're a loser. Uh, again, to call Smedley Butler a loser, foolish, but what a fascinating guy. So the true losers on the show are going to be uh, in these Patreon-exclusive episodes, which, again, anybody who needs to know, and you guys already know, five bucks a month. Just to very briefly explain this, Patreon is a subscription service. That means you will be charged every month for the amount that you decide to donate. If you decide to donate more than the $5, $5 is just the minimum we're asking because anything less than that, uh, I don't get anything back for it. Patreon takes their chunk and then it becomes like, it's very nice of you, but if you if you throw a dollar at a bum, he's very grateful. If you throw change at a bum, he goes, whoa, whoa, I'm just sitting here, dude. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, a, a Minimum of a $5 donation really helps us out. That allows us to, to offset the cost of the show. Uh, anything more than that, we're grateful for. But please remember, they do bill you each month unless you make an, uh, an edit. So if one month you love the topic and you're excited about it and you want to throw us a little bit more, we're grateful for that. Uh, I have had to, to message two people that I know the, um, that wanted to donate an amount more than we were comfortable with. Right now, we only have the one tier, if you will. And by the way, tier... T-I-E-R, not tears in the teardrop tattoo Kahuna has to signify that he's murdered people. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> Definitely Muppet murder. Muppet right. Oh, no! <laughs> Stuffing was everywhere. They want to know why the count went missing on Sesame Street? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so yeah, guys, I want to say thank you very much for all those people here. We're going to go ahead and get started. Um, I'm grateful for uh, all of you guys. These are the founding losers, okay? These are guys that signed the Declaration of Loser Pendants. <laughs> so, uh, first and foremost, Pat Dowden, good guy, uh, Coast Guard veteran, by the way, uh, $15 member. Thank you very much for that. And guys, I want to make sure you guys are aware of this. If you need to edit your donation, if things get tight for you, if you don't feel like giving us the full amount that one particular month and you want to drop it down to a five, we are never going to complain about that. We're grateful for any money that's coming across here as we're just trying to not operate at a deficit. So Pat Dowden, $15 a month. Thank you so much. My pal Matt Bruno Fellman, good guy. Met him doing stand-up, actually. Just a, a great dude. $10 a month. Thank you so much. Alex Alvarez, our, our wild Cuban Irishman, who uh, was a guest of the show once, too, by the way. I had to convince him to drop his donation because it was it was an unfathomable amount uh, that, that would have... Um, it would have set us up for years to come, all right? But we weren't comfortable profiting off of uh, the kindness of his heart. Uh, so he has uh, dropped back down to a $5 a month donation, which, again, is all we're asking for. So Mike Sutton, thank you very much. $5 donation. Chris Hollenbeck, $10 donation. Hollenbeck, I know how much you make. You're a cheapskate. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, Stu Greenberg, one of our honest-to-God day one fans, uh, could not ask for a nicer guy, a smarter guy. And a guy who also helped us find our voice early on. Uh, for those who don't know, Stu wrote me a message one time telling me, he goes, as funny as one of these particular episodes was, he goes, I did notice your comedian friends tend to trend towards uh, um, there's an irreverence that comes with comedy, which I love. 
but sometimes that negates uh, the purpose of the show, which is we want to be funny, we want to be irreverent, but we don't want to um, ever get off topic. And Stu just pointed something out to me that really helped us find the voice of the show. So I'm eternally grateful for that, man. $10 a month from Stu Greenberg. Jennifer Jackson. Um, what's your relationship with Jennifer Jackson, Dad? <laughs> That's my niece and my godchild. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Who uh, tried to donate $100 a month last night, and I had to call her up and scream at her on the phone. And she refused to uh, – she goes, she goes, well, what's the top donation? Because I want to be number one. So <laughs> she's now a $20 a month uh, donor here. Uh, Jen, I love you. Thank you for that. Uh, Thomas S. Cop II, royalty, donating to the show, Father. Thomas S. Cop II, who I believe is our pal Milwaukee Tom who is a Shining Wizards fan that uh, stumbled onto the show and just a diehard baseball fan, big history fan, good guy. I enjoy talking to him online. Also, by the way, guys, if you haven't, feel free. You're allowed to message me on Facebook. Um, You're allowed to send messages to the American Loser stuff. I will always do my best to get back to you. There's nobody that's – our fan base is really great. These are – we have a fan base that I'd actually like to hang out with, which is cool. I think I'm going to try and set up a Kahuna Twitter page. So if you want to shoot me a message, go for it. Exactly. Well, just to see what you look like, because uh, there's some people that... Uh, oh, there won't be any pictures. It'll just be... I'm just, just well, Uncle Paul, we'll figure it out. <laughs> Uncle Paulie painted you recently, too. I which know. Came it was good. amazing. we got to put that on a T-shirt. But that then that'll be... be like, everyone will know who the hell I am. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's gone to loser merch there, right? That's yeah. cool. Do we have more ideas for tears? Right. Uh, hey, thank you to uh, an old friend actually from uh, my scouting days eric kilroy five dollar donor i appreciate that my friend um th- now some of these guys started donating immediately as soon as the patreon was launched before we had content so i'm hoping that you know i want to make sure they get the episode so guys if you don't get access to the episode you message me i'll send you the, the rss feed uh on its own just to make sure that we're good to go here patreons are that's our go-to moving forward so um we, we will make right for anybody that's not getting served on this first go around so uh, Tyler Prosick, who uh, f- a cool Instagram account, by the way, too. Murphy's Wake is his name on there. So you know he's going to be a guy that uh, we'd get along with that. And he's just a good dude. Uh, I believe like Louisiana area, kind of like a punk rock dude. Uh, he likes the Red Sox, but whatever. We'll forgive that. Um, John Greco, who added us to Tammany Hall's Wikipedia page as a citation. <laughs> no so way. We're getting scholarly <laughs> as hell. That's right. And uh, so John Greco, great guy, $5 donor on that one. By the way, Tyler Prysick, a $20 donor. So uh, Cousin Jennifer, you have competition. Um, Brian Rowe, who wrote us and gave us some killer suggestions for a couple episodes and happens to play in a bagpipe band with uh, one Larry Burke. <laughs> Anything you want to say to Brian? Oh, just thank you, Brian. And some of those topics, some of those suggestions we've already delved into and uh, just great great to uh, great to hear from you we really appreciate uh, any input that uh, any of the uh, listeners might have which is awesome there so uh, again these are the, the the founding losers as we continue um, I'm gonna save one name for last because uh, he'll, he'll appreciate it too um, because he did something that I, I don't think that there's any tears on patreon that can uh, accommodate for but as we start to wrap this up, one of my great pals, one, a, a dude that I just kind of, you know when you meet people and you just click with them right away? There was uh, IC2, so Interior Communications, Second Class Petty Officer, Colin Moran, all right? Uh, he's a New York dude who used to work in the, uh, I believe it was the Elevator Union, the Elevator, uh, like Builders Union in New York. Um, and me and him happened to surf together in Mezron 10. We deployed together to Dubai. And the second I met this guy, I was just like, all right, this, I, you, this dude tells me what we're doing, and I'm doing it. That's it. 
and uh, I love the guy. Um, he actually came down to, he lives in the Tampa area, and he's been a supporter of the show. I love the dude. He's so fun to hang out with. Uh, he came out and saw my early, early stand-up when he was stationed in Jacksonville with me, and then came down and saw me when I was down with Bobby Kelly at Side Splitters back in September. So it was very cool to show him that I don't suck at this anymore. <laughs> and then it was great to hang out with him and his wife, just a, a wonderful person. Uh, I adore the two of them. $10 a month out of them. Uh, Jake Perro, good dude, man. Uh, just a good dude. Uh, I believe it's JRDE50 on Instagram. Uh, just a, a supporter since day one. Has sent us nothing but awesome messages. Uh, just a good dude. Uh, $5 a month from him. Thank you so much, Jake. I appreciate you. And... Um, the Ben Franklin, if you will, of the the losers has to be this next guy. And Kahuna knows who he is because we haven't said his name yet. Uh, Stu Greenberg was one of our day one guys, uh, as was this next guy, too. So uh, this guy is wild because he's had me on his podcast a couple of times. He and his wife have come out to shows of mine and brought co-workers. Uh, he and his wife traveled from Bergen County, New Jersey to Tampa, Florida, to come see me with Bobby Kelly the one weekend I was down there. And you want to say, you want to make an impression on a club manager? I'm sorry, you're here to see the feature act and you traveled from where? (laughs) Road trip. (laughs) So a guy has become a great pal of mine, as honestly almost everybody has here uh, that's donated. The Ben Franklin of uh, the, the... the founding fathers of loserdom, uh, Mr. Nick Franco. (laughs) Just a great guy. So thank you to all those people here. Now, without further ado, guys, we're going to dive right into this topic. But LP, you have anything you want to say to the the loserdom, this convention of losers? Just thank you so much. And we really, really really appreciate this. I mean, this whole concept started uh, probably sitting around the dining room table and you know, what would happen, Dad, if you if like we were just shooting the shit back and forth about various topics in history that maybe weren't covered in uh, your high school history book? You think we could make a go of that? And like, well, well, here we are. That we obviously have made a go of that, and we just want to thank the the fifty thousand plus uh, listens that we've uh, accumulated since this whole concept kicked off. And uh, the Patreons, you guys are awesome. I we, we I just can't thank you enough for your support with this whole thing that you know what we might think is a good idea well apparently a couple other people think it's a pretty good yeah. idea too and we just thank you so much for that so these are our militia men that have answered the call <laughs> and we, right. we hope to build a standing army folks um and those who don't know the show did start as an idea of a book that i wanted to write i still might write the book who knows i kept my notes from every loser we've researched and uh, then Mark Riccadonna, who's been a recurring guest on the show, fantastic comic. Check him out. A couple albums on iTunes and stuff. And uh, I just like, I love the guy. Day one. Met that guy. Just uh, clicked immediately. Um, and he's come over for family dinners and shit, too. But uh, Mark was helping me try to develop this thing uh, for a pitch to a TV network. Um, we did not get an opportunity to pitch. Um, but we have other irons in the fire now. And you guys are our day one guys here, so we will give updates on the Patreon that we can't exactly talk about uh, on the the regular, uh, easily accessible version of the free show. And by the way, if you meet anybody else who listens to the show and you're a Patreon listener, I want you to pull rank on these bastards, okay? If they're not donating and you are, you say, you get this show because of me. (laughs) That's right. There you go. You ready to roll here? I'm I'm ready if you guys are. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. So... uh, we're going to dive right in. This topic blew my mind. There's loserceptions. There's Jersey connections. 
And uh, and honestly, it's just a great story. These guys are the epitome of American losers. There's no there's no weird uh, gymnastics we have to pull at the end to try to convince uh, the audience that they're losers. <laughs> June 19th, 1953. The location is the legendary Sing Sing Prison in New York State, which, uh, what a hilarious name for a prison. <laughs> right. <laughs> so melodious. Sing Sing. Yeah, someone signed up for Drama Club, all of a sudden, like, doon, doon, doon. It's all awesome. Sing Sing. Oh, that doesn't sound so bad. Oh, yeah. uh, oh that Sing Sing. <laughs> so, uh, if you can make it in New York, where can you make it, Dad? Only, uh, only in Sing Sing Prison. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sing Sing is the the big house. That's uh, that's where they put in the bad guys. Which once I believe housed Al Capone. Do I have that right? Man, well, there was a lot of notorious uh, ne'er do wells that were. Oh yeah, I mean future losers. Spent, uh, spent some time uh, in Sing Sing Prison. Well, there's a uh, a guy's got a big day up there. Okay, he's got a big day. He's making it. He's uh, making it in New York. Uh, he's got a job known as the state electrician, Kahuna. <laughs> Loser, wow. Loserception yep. number Loser one. Loserception already from the beginning. Yep. So the state electrician, which if you don't know about him, you should. The electric chair episode, we covered him in detail. He had a big job that day. Uh, it's not changing light bulbs or running cables, okay? He has to set up a chair, a particular chair known as Old Sparky. Okay, Old Sparky being the chair, traveled around a lot of states, uh, and it was the nickname. It wasn't exactly one Sparky chair. Sparky went on tour. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Sparky had more tour dates than my comedy career. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> but um, so old Sparky, uh, the famed electric chair, was used to carry out death sentences. Now, those who uh, know about this, we covered that New Jersey had a chair known as Old Smokey, which, by the way, is still on display at the New York State Police Museum. So if you want to check that New out. New Jersey State Police Museum. What did I say? New York. Oh, shit. Sorry. Thank right. you. We're just trying to keep you on track. That's here. why you're here. Um, <laughs> so if you want to go check out the New Jersey State Police Museum, you will see, in fact, Old Smokey, which is a electric chair and not a fantastic barbecue joint. So uh, the state electrician for the state of New York at this time, his name was Joseph Francel, right? And he would electrocute 137 prisoners during his career. Two of them stand out in particular, though. Yeah, well, that was a multiple, multi-state uh, career though he mm -hmm. wasn't just exclusive to New York State. Exactly, uh, death penalty was uh, it varied uh, as it still does where it's uh, allowed to be carried out. So uh, 137 prisoners during his career, uh, the two that are going to stand out in particular happen to have the same last name. So that's weird. Is that could it be Frank and Jesse James? Mm, no. <laughs> you know, no. Could it, so it's not siblings. Uh oh. It, is this guy about to nuke a married couple? Yes. Yep. So uh, without further ado, guys, let's introduce this week's losers, Ethel and Julius Rosenberg. So, Kahuna, you don't have to say how much money you make, but I'll put it to you this way. Uh, with the Patreon, the first episode is out. I I'm very happy. We immediately went past our original goals, like uh, the, the small goals we set. So we'll have loftier goals as we go. But uh, I do want to let you guys know that... Uh, our next goal is we want to be able to use the Patreon account to afford to pay for one execution. Okay? <laughs> Joseph Francel used to be paid. You want to guess how much you got paid per execution? How much? $150. Ah. Wow. So, yeah, that's that's not bad road feature pay for a comic. So, um, imagine... I mean, we already pay for an execution. Like, we always listen to the end of your comedy career after every episode. Oh. So. Oof. Oof. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> Listen, wow. it's it's tough when you get dunked on by a guy who plays with puppets. Um, <laughs> and now I just got to sing a little yeah, more. That's, <laughs> that's right. 
Ufa. <laughs> I love you, buddy. I'm sorry. You know the fit. That's that's why people listen, man. It's a. Uh, but Francel gets 150 bucks per execution, which is again about what I would get paid for a road gig, if you will, uh, for one of my shows. Um, now, that's I one day. Yeah, get, but this this particular day. Uh, it's a double. double. Yep. A, it's a double. It's a, a double header. I mean, it's <laughs> I always picture him as uh, the the hangman in Mel Gibson's uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights. What are you about a seven, seven and a half? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but Julius and Ethel, uh, this is the death of the Rosenbergs. That's what we're covering here today, guys. We're going to have a lighthearted look at this because uh, we have to. Well, we also make sure that we c- we cover topics that are far enough removed, modern enough that we care. But not modern enough that we're st- the, the the wounds are still stinging. Okay, um, but this is the death of the Rosenbergs. Julius and Ethel appear to be any normal couple living in New York City. Uh, Ethel and Julius are both Jewish children of Jewish immigrants living in Manhattan. Okay, Julius is about three years younger than Ethel. Uh, his parents are working in the shops in Manhattan. Which, uh, by the way, a lot of people don't know this. The 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 Jewish community in New York, huge for labor uh, labor reform. Right, because right. they were uh, a, a lot of the original unions uh, going up against uh, sweatshops and everything like that. Terrible conditions in manufacturing and everything. I mean, you know more about this than very, I do. Very large uh, influence in the garment industry, and uh, New York was uh, ground zero for the for the garment industry. Oh yeah, and with the influx of uh, uh, a lot of uh, Russian Jews um, coming into New York City, that they they really kind of were a, a very large, uh, predominant uh, force within that, and bringing in some of the uh, labor labor union reforms as well. So, curious question for you here, because it's not hard to figure out why Julius gets drawn to this, but is there a reason why people are leaving Russia? Oh yeah, I mean there, there was all kinds of uh, um, reasons for that. I mean there was mob violence within Russia against the Jewish community to. Um, that was not um, controlled by any stretch of the imagination by the government. It was just let let the mob rule and, and oust these people from their uh, right. from their homes. And uh, many many uh, people then chose to uh, you know remove themselves from that hostile environment and go to America. You got to go where the love is. That's right. what I've always been told. Right. <laughs> now another weird thing too is that a lot of the original anti-Semitic propaganda that was getting spread around Russia at this time. And keep in mind Russia is Tsarist Russia at the time that the Rosenbergs families before they came to New York uh, would have been there. So this is the last days of Tsarist Russia. Okay. There's a wild dude named Rasputin floating around. Um, there's all sorts of crazy stuff. There's this weird dude uh, named Lenin who's got some wild ideas. Um, he's starting to get, build up a following here. He's been kicked out of Russia, actually. Right. And uh, so this anti-Semitic propaganda uh, that's being passed around in Russia, a lot of it actually makes its way into Germany, which then is the bedrock formation of what's going to become the Nazi party. Oh, wow. So when we talk about history really moves in 30-year chunks, that's definitely on display here. So there's a wild thing. The czars are living this good life. The peasants in Russia are starving, Right. So why would you not like this idea that this weird dude named Marx has come up with uh, about the idea that the working class should actually be getting a chunk of uh, the good life, right? So it's very easy to see why a young Julius, as he's attending, I believe it was the, the City College of New York. So it's funny that he goes to CCNY and then winds up a member of the CCCP. <laughs> so, <laughs> 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 
but a um, little inside joke for anybody who watched hockey in the 80s. Um, but as we're talking about it here, it's not hard to see why Julius is getting drawn into this idea of communism. Uh, Dan Carlin, who has a great podcast called Hardcore History, has described communism as an intellectual contagion, that once people start thinking that way, it's very hard for them to not. Yeah, and just the whole time, too. I mean, there was a lot of, uh, um, I'll call it alternate political viewpoints that democracy not necessarily is the only way to go, that perhaps socialism might work, perhaps, um, you know, communism might work, that uh, obviously whatever was going on in Tsarist Russia was not working, and, but it wasn't just limited to Tsarist Russia. It was, you know, all over the all over the world. Um, in, um, in Germany, certainly, uh, it even went into uh, Great Britain and went all, all, as I say, all over the world. And, and in America wasn't totally 100% everybody's for democracy and there was no uh, differentiating uh, viewpoints kind of a thing. It's uh, everybody's got their right to speak their mind here in America and there was a, a huge uh, communist viewpoint or socialist viewpoint. Um, you know, there's uh, bombings and, and assassinations in, in Italy. I mean, it, it, the whole world is really in a turmoil leading up to the to the First World War. So, I mean, that's that's our time frame, the nineteen the early 1900s. Right, and also keep in mind, communism hasn't exactly been tested yet, so there's no real track record on it. It's just this idea. So, when something's an idea, it's perfect. It's like a newborn baby. It's uh, free of sin at this point. However. Even in writing it, Karl Marx was catching some shit. So, and by the way, the other guy was Frederick Engels that wrote it with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, this is the, if you're a, a young Jewish kid struggling, and you're a smart kid, Julius is a smart dude. His degree at CCNY is from uh, it's in electrical engineering. Oh wow! So you got to be a little bit of a, a, a smart kid. And by the way, the, the Jewish community largely values education. That's one uh, a bedrock of like all my Jewish friends explain to me. They're like, yeah, it's just it's a religion that is built on. We'll read a little bit, motherfucker. You know what I mean? <laughs> so um, they're, they're a learned people in that regard. So he's coming over here. He's proven that he's the son of immigrants. He's uh, you know trying to figure out. Well, I want to make my way in the world. And uh, maybe this capitalism thing isn't really working for us because there's so many people dying in poor conditions so that the wealthy can get wealthier and we're working our whole lives and not turning a profit. So he gets involved with a little organization uh, known as the Young Communist League. Okay, so that's the group that he's getting into here. Uh, at Later, he would be also a card-carrying member of the Communist Party, right? And, uh, you know, uh, it, it's the classic story of uh, when Harry met Sally, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you attend a young communist meeting, you know, they're talking about how, hey, man, <laughs> what if like everything belonged to everybody? And you're just like, all right, well, uh, I guess I'm getting late at the end of this thing. <laughs> so, um, and, and by the way, the funniest thing I've ever met is I do know a communist stripper. And I said, um, <laughs> I can't think of a funnier concept than a communist stripper. So, but um, anyway. So she distributes her, her singles, her, her dollar bills to all the other girls at the end of the evening, Yeah, that's what right? I said. Listen, you're the cute... It's a communal, yeah, communal strip club. You're the cute stripper that gets the most requests for lap dances, so go help out the uh, the, the girl with uh, you know the snaggle tooth. <laughs> you know, she needs your money right now. But anyway, let's not get... Uh, let's not alienate some of the listeners. Actually, our, we got we can almost be as, abru- as abrasive as we want because these guys are our... The, this is, <laughs> you knew you're what just you're, realizing the yeah. limits. You, knew, you guys know what you're getting. <laughs> <here>. No <laughs> surprises for, right. for the day ones, man. 
Um, but yeah, she, uh, uh, this girl who caught his eye happened to be named uh, Ethel. Ethel Greenglass was her maiden name. That becomes important, Greenglass. So um, she had a similar background. Uh, she was also a, uh, a, 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 the daughter of an immigrant Jewish family in New York. She originally was drawn to a career as like a singer and an actress, but uh, she abandoned that. Uh, she went on to uh, get a job as a, she was doing secretary work, but for like a pretty big shipping company in New York. And she also, through that, gets involved with this young communists league. So uh, she then meets and marries Julius. I'm not saying these two are crazy about each other. Married within three years of knowing one another. Okay, and keep in mind she's three years older than him too. So an older woman coming in there, and uh, you know, I see this young electrical engineer with a lot of ideas about redistribution of wealth, and you know, in, in his mind, uh, same. They share the same political viewpoints. If oh you will. yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> I hate to say it, but it was like one of my first girlfriends in high school who uh, showed me a show called Arrested Development. And I was like, all right, this chick gets me. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, now real quick, they meet at, she you guessed it. understands me. <laughs> <laughs> they met at a Young Communist League meeting. And now, uh, Kahuna, what is the first rule of commie club? You don't talk about commie <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we've lost a kahuna for a while that was so good Candy. So, <laughs> <Holy shit. laughs> well uh julius has some strong political ideals right so he has this but he also has the need to make a living for his wife and the children they hope to one day have right and new york is not expensive like it is now but it's gonna be <laughs> well, okay. it always was but... yeah it always is to a degree right so um but what does uh, any good commie do when he, uh, you know, push comes to shove? He sacrifices his personal beliefs in order to make a buck for himself. It's been proven time and time again. I'm not saying that communism would never work. I'm saying uh, that everybody who's ever tried it eventually has something. Well, I mean, I should deserve a little bit more on my plate than everybody else because I'm doing more. Right. Right? So I'm more important. Yeah, I mean, that goes all the way back to the Baptists and the Anabaptists yeah. from the, the, the Protestant Reformation. But anyway, Julius takes a job. The uh, the the communist uh, <laughs> the communist leading gentleman takes a job uh, with the Army Engineering Laboratories in standby Jersey Jersey Connection. Not just a Jersey Connection. For those who don't know, the studio is in Eatontown, New Jersey. If Kahuna was to stick his head out the window, he would see Fort Monmouth, New Jersey, where Julius took a job. Yep. No freaking way. Are yeah. you serious? The magic yeah. of when the boy loses his mind. <laughs> Wait, so he... Oh, that's awesome. I'm just up Fort the street, man. No way. Prior to this, our closest contact, I think, was with um, when we covered, uh, I would say, the Hindenburg disaster. Well, yeah. With how close that was to us. But, this but one, not within roof-looking distance. Yeah, you could flip a whiz, and it would probably hit a spot that old Julius walked on. Wow. Yeah, he's working And a lot me. of that is still original, too, for, for yes. of Fort Monmouth. Oh, so. it, it gets very apparent if you ever tour the facilities. Fort Monmouth was a major munitions uh, um, depot for the, for the military, um, and he's working for the, uh, for the um, military um, at Fort Monmouth. He's a civilian. But he's working for the military, um, I, I believe, as a, a machinist. Well, he is an inspector and an engineer. Okay, all right. Okay, so. right. His his credentials. Oh, and by the way, in order to get that job, he had to fill out an application where he just forgot to put down on the application of his uh, communist uh, party uh, 
leanings, if you will. That was just not on the application. <laughs> Didn't see a need to put yeah, that yeah, on the application. That's not important. Right. I don't need to put that right. there. I need the job more than I need uh, somebody questioning yeah, he, my it, political viewpoints. Uh, it would be like uh, showing up to a, a job that requires a drug test in a Grateful Dead t-shirt. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So... Um, he's an interesting guy. He's very smart too, by the way. At no, and, and once we see what comes down the pipeline here for him, you can tell this guy is far from an idiot. Um, but he does do a couple of things that confuse you. So anyway, he takes this job over at Fort Monmouth, New Jersey, where he would work from 1940 to 1945. Lawrence Patrick, is there anything going on on a global scale in the years 1940 to 1945? Yeah, they're already shooting at one another over in Europe and uh, in the Pacific uh Japan has taken over China and, and a good part of the Pacific. Um, um, Hitler has already uh, gotten his Nazi party up and running, and they're going into Poland. Uh, they're attacking France. Um, you know, he's sweeping across Europe by uh, 1940. So uh, America at this point is still uh, technically neutral, that they're not taking sides. But uh, there's a there's a global war going on right now with um, certain little guy right um, Nazi Germany um, the the Italians have their fascists with uh, Benito Mussolini um, and even Russia uh, at at this point in time early on in by 1940 Russia is still aligned with uh, with Germany so um, right which is about to change which is about to change but um, that was not through America's doing that was through um, <laughs> Uncle Adolf uh, Hitler uh, turning on the guys that he had already made promises not to turn on with the with uh, Joe Stalin in, in Russia so yes uh, so a lot of stuff going on here around the time frame and Fort Monmouth as you said that is a, uh, a huge part of where the Army uh, is doing all sorts of crazy advancements. I mean, literally, the modern world is being invented uh, just, you know, footsteps away from where we're sitting right now. Right. And some of the cool shit that was going on over there is still being used today, just for, uh, for purposes here. Julius uh, eventually gets um, fired from this position after it was revealed. So he gets fired in 1945. He worked there for five years before they figured out that this dude was previously a member of the Communist Party. Now, when you say that you're, uh, when you're a card-carrying member, just because you're no longer carrying the card doesn't mean you're not still a member. You just understood that there's this pressure in the world. Why is the world, especially the United States, nervous about communism? You're, why are they nervous? Yes. Yeah, why? Because well, it goes against our, our way of life, if you will. That the, exactly. Right. Yeah, the, the, the commies don't really create a middle class ever. Right? <laughs> it goes against all of the above. Yeah. Right. And also, mind you, why else would you be nervous about this? We are tied to Britain. There's no way that we're not. Britain is scared shitless of Russia. Brit, the Brits actually had agents following Rasputin around. I think he was known as like um, uh, uh, Nemesis One or something like that. They have a code name for him that was pretty cool. I can't recall it off the top of my head. Um, and then there's also the idea that British agents may have been responsible or at least a part of the assassination of Rasputin, which then in turn uh, leads to the fall of the czars, right? And then you bring in the, the whole the Bolsheviks, you have the, the Russian Revolution, wild shit. We saw a kingdom, a king, if you look at old Russian stuff, like, old, like the, the autocracy and the Winter Palace and everything, it looks like Cinderella shit, right? right? It's, 
it's it's haunting to look at the old images. Well, a lot um, of like a lot of old fairy tales are actually based in in Russian history. Like you can yeah. find a lot of like a lot of Brothers Grimm stuff is either that or Germany or stuff like that. Oh yeah, so it's it's actually a pretty fascinating deep dive right. if you look into stuff like that. And it, it w- the upsetting part of it too is that you see like these haunting images of how beautiful it could be, and then the stuff just gets. There's almost this. Uh, this is why Russians were villains in action movies for 30 years after this, because we were just nervous about them. So we just saw an entire kingdom crumble, and uh, there's a lot of weird stuff going on. Russia's all of a sudden more wealthy, but their population keeps going down with no real explanation. <laughs> um, they're a nerve-wracking people to deal with. So uh, there's a lot going on around this time from here, and they're a very controversial political party, and the American arm of it is not really, they're not tied to the stuff going on in Russia, but they are waving that same flag to a degree. So a lot of stuff going on here. People are uh, uh, jumping to certain conclusions. Um, it would seem to fire a brilliant electrical engineer like Julius just for being a member of a political party. It would sound like nowadays the ACLU would get involved with that, right, Dad? Well, I mean, it's a, he's, he's entitled to his, to his opinion. And you know, we just do disparage that opinion that, uh, you know, every, that's every, every American's uh, right, if you will, to to speak their minds and everything else, but you know, not, not so much back in the day. And just, we kind of jumped back and forth there a little bit with Tsarist Russia. That was pre-World War One. It was during World War One. Yes. Where the, the Tsars were overtaken. It, it was really kind of Britain's secret weapon by putting a lot of these uh, socialist and communist reformers and get them back into Russia to stir the pot. There's the, the Russian Revolution where um, the czar is overthrown, and uh, it re- really takes Russia out of the out of the First World War because they just pull back and say, "That's it, we're done with, with this whole fighting." Um, but by the time the the 30s roll around, um, you know the communists are definitely in charge of Russia. Joe Stalin, the dictator, is large and in charge. By the Georgian he, butcher, he's already gone through all kinds of purges, killed, you know untold numbers of of his own to remain in power so it it's joe stalin is calling the shots the reason why hitler let's be fair what a mustache (laughs) yeah he is rocking that stash but uh hitler and and stalin had this mutual agreement that when russia when germany goes into invade poland that they weren't going to have any pushback from the Russians, because the Russians were looking to uh, overtake the rest of the world, too. So, I mean, it wasn't until uh, Adolf Hitler turned on Joe Stalin and, and went into the um, the Eastern Front um, to, to invade Russia that the, the tables kind of turned on, on him, that uh, now all of a sudden our enemy is now supposedly our ally with uh, with Britain and uh, the rest of the, we'll call it the free world, the United States. Right. So the global scale is crazy around this time frame. Um, and I thought this was interesting. So uh, Kuna, we said 1940 is when uh, our boy Julius takes his job over here. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, his wife, by the way, very smart by all accounts as well. So uh, Jewish as well. Is that also the education aspect of it? Perhaps? Oh yeah. Well, yes. again, that, that's a learned people uh, all around that way too. Um, now, again, we said that in 1940 he starts his job over in Fort Monmouth. He will then get fired in 1945 for his uh, alignment with the Communist Party. So, interestingly enough, 
uh, it sounds like a bad thing to get fired over. It sounds like there'd be a court case for that nowadays. Uh, and they would be justified in doing so. You shouldn't get shut down just, oh, wait a minute, hang on, what? Would, hang they te- on. would technically, I mean, I know this is the age, especially then, of like, well, he got fired because he was associated with that. And nowadays, you say there would be a court case. But theoretically, there could have been back then, but there was just so much visceral hate for it. That yeah, it was not popular. They, there definitely was a. Uh, it's, it's known as the I'm Red not Scare. It's popular now. I, I mean, I know the Red Scare and I know the history oh, yeah. of it. But like, you know what I mean, right? Where I'm asking, like, hey, could theoretically he go to the Supreme Court and be like, you're violating my rights to the Constitution? Yeah, I, but the, like, well, what's going to happen with Julius here? Because th- this is the part where we're about to unveil why he's not exactly sympathetic. If my father and I decided that we were going to commit uh, massive uh, bank robberies, and then when they arrest us, we say, just classic America, always cracking down on the Irish, you know? <laughs> and then we get the Irish League to try to support us and all this other stuff and, you know, nonsense there. Uh, listen, Julius, in 1942, this is later revealed and confirmed as fact, uh, as early as 1942, Julius began his career as a proven spy for communist Russia. Wow. Okay. Yep. Okay. So, Kuhn is uh, on our side Proven. now. All right. Yeah. I was on your side the whole time. I was just questioning, man. <laughs> hey. Right. You have to. That's what we do on the show here. But uh, it would appear that dear old Julius was recruited as a spy for Russia on, of all holidays, Dad. Did you pick this part out in I our didn't. research? I didn't catch that. Yep. Recruited into service for communist Russia on Labor Day. We can't give these people anything. Okay. Um, in 1942. Hey, when you're calling a communist Russia, it's the Soviets, really. But, I mean, they were sending in spies to try to find out what's going on in the United States as early as early as the early 30s that, um, you know, communist Russia was sending spies to, to spy on the United States um, manufacturing and trying to figure out whatever secrets there might be going on. I mean, spying is as old as as old as time everybody wants to know what the other guy the, the supposed enemy or the bad guy even you even want to spy on your on your friends just to make sure that they're still your friends but right that that spy thing was set up early in the 30s um and you know with with the depression and everything else everybody being out of work um there was a, a tremendous worldwide un, unsettled times um Worldwide, so it's it's leading up to and through the uh, the Second World War. I mean, the Second World War for the United States started in 1941. December 7th, 1941, was when the United States officially got into the Second World War. But the war, Second World War was going on in the 30s. I mean, with the Germany invading Poland and, and fighting the British, and you know all, all of that. that this has been going on throughout the rest of the world for a good number of years before the United States officially got involved with it. Totally. And it's uh, now that becomes important too. the timeline of events. We have to keep track of the timeline here. Takes the job in 1940, right? Uh, gets fired in 45. Fired in 45. However, check this shit out. This is important. Um, he is confirmed as a spy and he begins his spy career in 1942. He is recruited by the communist Russian spy master. You want a villainous name? Semyon Semenov. Yep, Semyon Semenov, uh, who was the spy master for an organization, a government organization in Russia known as the NKVD. 
spy master. Yeah, the spy like, master. He's the top spy, I guess. Exactly. Like no, he's uh, he's in the United States, um, and but he's he's pulling the strings. He's the uh, the the pie the, the spy. The Russian spy puppet master, if you will. Did you get what the NKVD means, though, Dad? Uh, I did, but it was it's basically the Soviet um, spy, spy spy network. Well, here, here's it's not necessarily a loser reception, but a comparison that we'll make. So the NKVD, the organization that uh, Semyonov is uh, the head of, is known as the People's Commissariat for Internal Affairs. Okay, a very simple name with very devious, devious, uh, you know, shadow moves. Sign a little bit like the Committee for Public Safety in Hawaii that's going to overthrow uh, Queen Lili. Right. right. So, well, at the same time, it's very similar to the uh, Central Intelligence Agencies or you, the CIA. So. I refuse for you to, to besmirch the good name <laughs> right. of those people I'm that sorry. tested acid on us. Right. <laughs> it was only the foreigners that were the bad guys. <laughs> I'm a my xenophobe. Oh, um, I'll be true blue and wave the flag yeah it's uh but anyway wildly enough again timeline hugely important here at the time of julius's recruitment hitler has already invaded russia okay now this is huge because what does that mean the u.s is now technically allies with russia despite the tension between the two nations right i mean the timeline is december 7th 41 japan uh bombs pearl harbor so we're, we are at war with Japan, but five days later, Hitler declares war on the United States as well. Um, so now we're at war with Japan and Germany and Italy, because Italy is still aligned with Germany. So we're, we're in it and we're, we're worldwide. So um, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt is the president at the time, and he's the first president in American history that is now fighting a war on on two fronts in, right. in Europe and he's also fighting the, the Japanese and the the Russians they're a wild card because they used to be aligned with Germany but then when Germany invaded Russia now Russia is you know technically with the allies so <laughs> it's a it's a screwed up situation and you know strange bedfellows for sure the enemy um, of my enemy is my friend yeah and, exactly. and strange bedfellows on all sides too by the way i always thought it was such a interesting political move for hitler to sit there and say well the germans are the true aryans and we're actually the master race but but oh i mean japan you're pretty cool too right, i right. guess and italy loves the food the food very good very good i mean you are still you're, you're basically dogs compared to the germans but <laughs> yeah. we we have that in common and uh it's important because now russia's flipped so if you're going to if you have uh we have, this is always funny too. I have friends that are from Ireland. I've dated girls from Ireland, right? That they're living in the United States. And they have this thing where they're like, oh, well, you're Irish, but it means it's like, yeah, you're Irish heritage versus being from Ireland. It's a different thing. Um, so it's interesting enough to me that, like, you and me would have some pride in being Irish, right? So if the United States is aligned with Ireland and someone goes, hey, you know, you're working there, why don't you, you know, maybe send a little info our way? I mean, it's all, we're all in this together, right? Yeah. So it's not that Russia is the enemy. There's an unease, but on paper, we're allies with them. So that's the time frame that Julius is getting recruited here. So um, Russia is still wild, like we talked about. Uh, and this alliance that we have with Russia is barely a summer old when Julius begins supplying things. Because remember, you said uh, Pearl Harbor, right? right? So uh, that's the start of the summer, right? 
And no, then, that was December 7th, so that's the end of... Oh, Jesus, what am I doing here? Down near uh, the end of 1941. Right, so uh, that's going on, and then uh, we're barely... The alliance is really barely a, a summer old, uh, because I, I screwed up my dates on that one. The land invasion of Russia begins in June, right? Which then has the uh, Russians now aligned with the Allied powers, and then by Labor Day, uh, old uh, Julius has now agreed to start fast-tracking shit from Fort Monmouth over to the Ruskies. So, um, important there. So thank you for the correction on that, by the way. Uh, the most damning thing that he starts sending over, he's sending over classified reports, blueprints of American engineering efforts, and this is the, the worst one um, that he sends over. Uh, he gives Mother Russia access to a complete blueprint for a proximity fuse. Dad, do you know what a proximity fuse is? Yeah, proximity fuse was, there's different ways of uh, detonating the bomb. It, it could be um, that the bomb is going to go off on impact. Kahuna just sighed like, oh, no, what did, what did this guy do? <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. Yeah, or the, the other our proximity fuse is that um, as the bomb is dropping, when it gets close to the ground, it's going to explode above ground level it's not going to explode on impact it's going to explode above that it's going to have more a more devastating effect by blowing the bomb slightly above you than right at ground level exactly. so what do you have to gain by fucking with that control i mean you just the impact of how strong the bomb could be yeah so you could take the same bomb and if it's going to explode on impact it's going to have a certain devastation but if you can have a proximity fuse on that same bomb and have it explode slightly above ground level it's going to have a more devastating effect it's going to take out more people it's going to take out more stuff wow by being close to ground level right. rather than at ground level and by the way that would that is still being used in like the uh, uh, the missiles that are controlled by a pilot pretty much. Um, and keep in mind, too, at this time, nobody else has this. The U.S. is right, this eons is, ahead of people. This is, this is uh, high-tech stuff to try to be able to develop this type of a thing. And I don't think he was at Monmouth the, the whole time, his, his whole No, but that, that career, was where but the, he, the, he was bouncing around, but yeah. yeah. Well, he's going to spend some time uh, out west later, which we're about to cover in yeah. a, a second or two here. Uh, other stuff I want to make sure that we hit here is that uh, this proximity fuse, like I said, that's the most damning thing he gives away. Julius also gives away the designs and the production plans to Russia for something known as the P-80, okay, which is Lockheed, as in Lockheed and Martin. Mm -hmm. um, it is the U.S.'s first fighter jet. So he's leaking blueprints and how to build your own fighter jet over to Mother Russia, right? That's some important shit here. Julius not only uh, sends thousands, literally thousands, that, that's what they, they caught up with him because everything got exposed later on. There was, uh, as you'll see, there's um, there's some revisionist history applied to him uh, in, in both damning and uh, 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 saving graces. But um, thousands of documents are proven to have been leaked to Russia. And not only is he giving documents, he's also recruiting more spies into the cause. So this becomes known as the Rosenberg spy ring, which includes, but is not limited to, Joel Barr, Alred Sarant, William Pearl, Morton Sobel, and a guy named David Greenglass. Do you remember that last name I told you was important, Kahuna? Mm -hmm. Greenglass? Ethel's maiden name? Yeah. Greenglass is uh, working on a little government project uh, that uh, the Russians have a lot of interest in. Also happens to be Julius's brother-in-law. So that's right. Ethel's brother, David, was now being recruited into the spy ring. 
So imagine uh, getting invited over I to. I remember uh, this '80s sitcom, <laughs> <laughs> Full Communist House. That's a- <laughs> <laughs> everywhere you look, you share the wealth. It's great. <laughs> oh man, that is terrifying. Um, <laughs> So and uh, brother David uh, or the brother-in-law of David, they also had uh, communist leanings and attended a lot of these early oh, communist yeah. meetings and stuff. David's got a wife named Pretty Ruth. Well. Now imagine getting the family together for a, a nice meal, and it's uh, it's Jewish food, so you know it's not good. Um, <laughs> That <laughs> no one goes to Jewish dining restaurants. Okay, you go for bagels. We'll go for right? Jewish deli, though. Jewish deli—that's the thing. That is that is where the the beauty of the the Irish and the Jewish heritage is combined into. He a, just shut you down with one example. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, uh, hey, uh, Kahuna, by all means, go find a Jewish restaurant you want to go have dinner in, and I'll meet you there. Mm-hmm. Point taken. That's a, <laughs> and we're in the mecca for it. All right, this is the best bagels uh, you're ever going to get in the entire universe. Exist in New York and New Jersey. Right, bagel at a schmear. Oh my god! And I, I, for years, I was against locks until I had them. Okay, I stand corrected. All right. So, uh, and moving uh, on. Yeah, yeah. Well, we could talk about latkes next, and that's potatoes, and I'm in on any form of potato. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that's right. Ethel's brother David is now getting recruited into the spy ring. So come on over for dinner, and perhaps uh, we can betray our government. You know, I mean, whatever you're into. Hey, the game's on. Um, so yeah, you know, just a little betrayal. It's all good. A little chit chat around the dining room table. And I'm excited here because when we do write these episodes, I get to uh, either text, call, or sometimes even in person. Uh, prep my father for his glorious moments. I hope you're ready, LP. Well, we're getting there. Because David Greenglass is working on a little project, Kahuna. Little, little something. He's involved in the government, too. He's a smart guy. Uh, he's got a background in the sciences. And he's an integral member of a group that's working on something known as the Manhattan Project. So that's right. Uh, this guy. Have you heard of that, Coons? No. Uh, <laughs> I've never heard of the Manhattan Project. The Manhattan Project, for those who oh. don't know, is an album by the Beastie Boys. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I thought uh, it was the Stereo MCs. That's a, <laughs> well, we have, uh, for more information, For a lot of people know about the Manhattan Project, but we're going to very quickly illuminate a couple other things that stood out to us. Lawrence Patrick Burke, what is the Manhattan Project? <laughs> Well, the Manhattan Project was a secret code name for a, a project that was uh, funded by the federal government. Um, it and had, led by J. Robert Oppenheimer, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. What are Kahuna! You, are you already, uh, are you already Wikipedia in us? No, uh, I actually know that one. You don't have the screen up behind I us. I can turn it on. No, I can literally right. show you what I'm looking at. No, usually that boy Ka- gets so yeah, smart? Kahuna knows a lot. He definitely knows a lot because there's time. You can tell because he gets very excited. You, and then you, sometimes he scrolls ahead because you, you'll catch him because he'll be like, oh, is that true? Right, Sometimes I make it obliviously <laughs> obvious. But he's, like, he's got the cliff notes yeah. in front of him on that one. But, uh, but Wikipedia but, is founded by users like us and donations keep us. Wait, what? But truthfully... I know that because of epic crap battles of history. <laughs> now we're talking. All right, LP, Manhattan Project. The Manhattan Project. Well, a little bit of a, briefly a backstory. Early in 1939, all right, so the United States isn't into the war yet, just yet, because again, Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 41. Early in 39, the, the world's scientific community, very close knit, very few people know about this. But there's some German physicists who are secretly working on this whole idea of being able to split a uranium atom. 
um, by able to split the atom, um, you're going to have an unbelievable amount of energy, amount of force uh, that would be produced by, by that going on. Uh, and, of course, there's fears spread um, that these Nazi scientists are going to use that to do what? Not necessarily to make electrical energy, but to make a bomb um, that would be a total game changer. Um, some of the scientists and, uh, you know, brilliant people who have already fled uh, Nazi Germany, one in particular, Albert Einstein, you might have heard of him before, uh, Albert Einstein the flees, smartest guy who never owned a comb. Uh, fleed, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Didn't didn't make his money in hairstyling. <laughs> um, but he flees Nazi persecution before all of this goes on. There's another one, an Italian boy, Enrico Fermi, who escapes fascist Italy, and are now living in the United States. Um, they're uh, attuned into what's been going on in Nazi Germany with these other physicists and brilliant scientists who are trying to split the atom to, un to unleash this uh, new form of uh, energy, this atomic energy. Um, Fermi, Fermi goes to some of the federal officials and tries to give these guys the heads up that, hey, the, the Nazis are working on this shit and it's bad. Um, that that the, the amount of force that they could generate if they're successful with this is unbelievable. Um, they poo-poo him and kind of send him on his way. <clears throat> it's always uh, weird how they we, we just kind of get shit wrong so many times before we get it right. <laughs> right. That um, you know that's no, yeah that that's that's science fiction shit. That's not going to happen. Um, uh, Fermi and some other brilliant people kind of convince Albert Einstein that perhaps. Einstein, who was probably one of the most noted brilliant minds in the world at that particular point in time, they get uh, Einstein to write a letter directly to Roosevelt that, uh, you know, hey, you guys got to pay attention here because this is going to be some really bad shit if, if the Nazis are able to beat us to this whole uh, nuclear fission type of a thing. Um, Roosevelt kind of agrees in a small way and they get some very minimal um, uh, funding for this all in secret. Um, a lot of it's going on at Columbia University. So a lot of these brilliant minds are getting together at Columbia University in Manhattan and that's where the whole code name Manhattan Project comes from. I like it. All right. Wow. And, but there's other, there's other crap going on too. Um, within the University of Chicago. Actually, uh, Fermi goes to the University of Chicago, and he's the guy that's credited to um, actually getting the first usable energy um, with this uh, uh, nuclear reactor, if you will. And what blew my mind is that first experimental now, again, we're still on in the experimental stage. This is very early on. This is like cutting-edge shit. Nobody knows about Only a, a very small number of people know about any of this, and whatever is going on is going on in secrecy. Uh, he builds this experimental, Fermi now builds this experimental nuclear reactor uh, at the University of Chicago. He's doing secretly under the football stadium <laughs> in a squash court. 
Now, the uh, University of Chicago had already canceled out their football program, so this football stadium is not being used. So secretly, down in underneath this football stadium, there's a squash court, and that's where this first nuclear reactor takes place, and they're successful. Um, it's, it's proven that it is possible. Um, so that's definitely a game changer. Um, the feds are now paying a little more attention to this, that, all right, they start funding this thing in a big way, to not only for the energy source, but for, again, for, a, for bomb possibilities, because um, now we're into, into the war at this point. This Manhattan Project is fully funded. They're saying by the end of the war, by war's end, there was over $2.2 billion spent. Now, we're talking about, you know, 1941 to 1945 dollars that by war's end, $2.2 billion is spent on this. And this whole Manhattan Project takes on this huge complex that's actually in three different locations uh, scattered around the United States. Everybody working in secrecy. And nobody really knows what the final end result of this thing is going to be. But... Um, Part of it is this whole um, city is built by the Army Corps of Engineers in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, that we're going to have to um, get this plutonium thing and all, all the necessary ingredients to put this whole thing together. Um, there's another um, huge complex in uh, Hanford, Washington, the state of Washington, uh, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and of course, all of this stuff was going to come together into the final manufacture in Los Alamos, New Mexico, and that's where they explode. Uh -huh. That's where they explode the the, the first atomic bomb. Um, I think they they nicknamed that first explosion uh, "Gadget." So, not expector, uh, not an in inspector gadget. Go go gadget atom splitter. Go 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 gadget. Might uh, have to atom ruin splitter. that for yeah. me. I could have did it. Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> Um, it's like I didn't want to fucking hear it. <laughs> so I mean, th th that whole thing by by the time they're they're finished with this with this whole Manhattan project, we had over 130,000 people working within secretly working within the Manhattan project. So I mean, there was a huge amount of people. Some of the most brilliant minds in the world are the only ones that are in on this, and very very few people know what the end result was that you could be working in, in, in a factory in Tennessee, in uh, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, not knowing what, you know, what it is, what is right. it we actually producing here? Yeah. But, uh, you ever wonder what it is they're working on up there? But yeah, this is for... <laughs> no. <laughs> this is national security shit, and that's all you really needed to know is, is to go with that. Um, now, I, you did say gadget. That, that's important, too, that, that, um, that the idea of naming these things. Now, I made a joke earlier. What's the first rule of comedy club? The actual rule of the Manhattan Project, the first rule would be you don't talk about the Manhattan Project. Right. And the more we learn, the more people you bring in on something. That's why conspiracy theorists I always have a hard time with some of their, their wild shit um, is that there's no way that everybody's going to keep stay honest. and Because and, people – there's this human thing, this deep human quality where people either have to talk about it or, or the, the susceptibility to, to greed comes into play here. So don't let me cut you off if you had anything else on No, I just, th that first bomb, I thought this was pretty interesting that when they finally do set off that first test bomb, they put it on top of this high tower in the middle of nowhere in uh, New Mexico, uh, outside of uh, Los Alamos, New Mexico. Um, that was the first real 
successful test anywhere. So that entered us into definitely the atomic age. Um, but they put this bomb, this first test bomb, on top of this 100-foot tower. Um, when they exploded it, they said a blinding flash was visible for 200 miles, lit up the morning sky. A mushroom cloud reached 40,000 feet. Well, 40,000 feet, shit, that's where jet airliners are, are flying around at 40,000 feet. You know, of course, they didn't have jets at that particular time, but this mushroom, we've all probably seen photographs or video of that mushroom-shaped cloud going up in the various yeah. atomic tests that they did. So that mushroom-shaped cloud is going up to 40,000 feet, blowing out windows of civilian homes up to 100 miles away. So you're setting off one bomb, and you're breaking windows 100 miles away. Um, um, and when the, the, uh, the cloud returned to Earth, uh, it created a half-mile-wide crater metamorphosizing the sand that was there in the middle of this desert the sand was turned to glass so yeah you got you had some you had some damage going on there so when you uh, see one of those uh the, those like fly-by-night artists at a flea market saying i make this with a uh, glass they're selling you radioactive material <laughs> <laughs> that's what i figured thanks for that yeah but and again this was all in secret so even when they were testing this first bomb that was still you know top secret stuff that we can't we can't be letting the, uh, the the Russians in on this. Now, with the Manhattan Project, we did have some uh, British scientists, and we also had some Canadian uh, folks that were helping us out on this project. But we weren't we weren't letting the Russians because we didn't really trust the Russians at this point either. Because who knows what would happen if they got a hold of it first? So timeline becomes huge on that as well. Continue. All right, and but. What I thought was pretty cool, too, is that this is a top-secret operation. They exploded. It's successful. We can, we were capable of making this atomic bomb. Um, never mind what we're going to be able to do with it later on when it's not for a, a warfare type of a purpose. But the bogus cover-up story um, that was released to the general public, I mean, I mean, if you had your windows just blown out and you were 100 miles away from the test site, I mean, what the F is going on here, you know? And you're seeing this huge cloud going up to 40,000 feet. How are you going to cover up that story? Well, they uh, say, It was a Metallica concert? <laughs> that, yeah, right. Uh, Everybody's, uh, never mind. <laughs> <But> <laughs> they're, exp they're explaining that huge cloud that, they were, uh, they're saying that, well, that, that was a huge ammunition dump that just exploded in the desert. And uh, we're sorry about your windows exploding. And Yeah, the men know. in black show up with the, the debulizer or whatever it was. <laughs> right, right. right. The, the mine, it was a garbage explosion. The mine <laughs> well, right. Um, some methane gas exploded out. <laughs> Who the hell knows what? But they were saying, well, yeah, that was a huge ammunition dump that we just lost out in the desert. And that was the cause for that huge explosion that you heard. And we're sorry about that. Um, uh, word soon reached uh, Truman, who happened to be at uh, Potsdam uh, right then when he was meeting with uh, Churchill and, and Joe Stalin and everything else. But uh, that was when the world actually entered the, the nuclear age, if you will. That, and it's important you say to Truman, by the way. It's important that you mention that guy. Um, again, timeline, huge, huge factor. All right, I'm sorry. Yes, so that was uh, in the summer of 45. So FDR has already uh, passed on and... His vice president, Harry uh, Truman, is now president of the United States. So um, the war isn't over yet. The war isn't over yet. Um, Actually, Hitler thought that the death of FDR was a sign from God 
that he was uh, it, it remained his his right that, that this was proof he was going to rule the world oh yeah, yeah, yeah. it's coming yeah. so um, and also side note uh, Grammy Grandma Burke uh, used to have a, a certain name for uh, Harry S. Truman. Well, no, that, were, that was my grandmother. So my mother's mother, uh, anytime she would mention Truman, it would be Harry. He had a middle initial S, Harry S. Truman. But the S didn't stand for anything. It wasn't for Samuel or whatever, or Sidney or Stanley. It was just Harry S. Truman. Well, to my grandmother's viewpoint, that S stood for nothing. So she would always say Harry S for nothing Truman that he wasn't worth anything so Harry S she wasn't a big fan of Harry Truman so next time one of your uh, family members has an opinion about a president don't sit there and be like we used to support the presidents back in the day (laughs) it's not like that anymore yeah she wasn't a big fan of Harry Truman so it's fair to say as uh, I wanted to go down that that wormhole of the Manhattan Project and thank you for that that was killer um you don't want people knowing about this shit. The idea is, you want to talk about American exceptionalism, we're going to be the only people that have this because we're benevolent in our uh, masochism, you know? So uh, <laughs> technically, the USSR and the US are allies, but we don't exactly trust them. Uh, the US never shares intel or even makes them aware of the Manhattan Project. So you're right, Truman can sit there and go, uh, uh, like, walk into a room, get a, you know, a message hey, by the way, that nuclear bomb, and then he walks out and he goes, Winnie, Joe, <laughs> you guys want to play some cards? What do you got? Right. Never never lets anybody know right. here. So, um, Julia- well, I, Actually, to, to back that up a little bit, um, Harry Truman didn't even know about the Manhattan Project. No shit. Until FDR passed on and he is now, oh, by the way, Mr. Truman, yeah, we've got this little thing going on out in Los Alamos. Yeah, this little side project <laughs> right, right. we've been working on right. in the desert. Uh, very few, uh, that's what I'm saying. This was so top secret, even the vice president of the United States didn't know about the Manhattan Project. Mr. President, what do you know about Adams? Uh, John or Sam? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Um, no, that's wild. So not only is uh, Julius has aspiring here that now has infiltrated the Manhattan Project, um, he's got uh, literally, again, we said thousands, and the rock means thousands <laughs> yeah. of uh, classified documents. He's infiltrated the biggest secret project in American history, and for his efforts, he is rewarded quite handsomely uh, with a hundred bucks from his spy master, his handler, if you will. So next time you get nervous about the prospect of nuclear war, Kahuna, you remember old Julius. Thanks for screwing us over, pal. Um, for a hundred bucks. To offer again that timeline, he starts the job in 1940, fired in 1945. The Manhattan Project is obviously a success because we're able to not only test the atomic bomb, we're also able to then use it in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, ending World War II in 1945. Imagine the shock on the Western powers' faces when just a few years later in 1949, Russia now tests their first atomic weapon right. named Joe One after Papa Joe Stalin. Right. Oddly enough, the bomb, not as deadly as its namesake. <laughs> <laughs> the test site was a small town constructed for demolition purposes, which was, get this, you want to talk about how, how beautiful the wonderful people of Russia are? They filled the uh, this town with 1,500 animals so that they could uh, 
put tests on the animals' bodies, and if any of them survived, we would test the fallout and stuff like that. Yeah, they created their own little town. They built they built mm-hmm. residential houses and that stuff. They weren't having people living in it, but they put livestock and that type of thing. Now, here's then, the funny uh, part. And well, then Indiana Jones would later stumble upon it and put himself <laughs> the in a refrigerator. didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, uh, this whole thing, it was so unknown to anybody, really. I mean, some of our early uh, test sites, we'd have... Uh, Army personnel out in trenches. They, oh, they gave you special glasses and stuff to, to view other atomic bombs that were tested. Uh, you know, after the war was it's over. Just three D glasses for yeah. like an NBC Third Rock from the Sun three D special episode. Yeah, um, but it, I think what people fail to realize too is that from forty five when we first got the bomb uh, until forty nine for that four year interval, the only country in the world that had nuclear capability was the United States. Yes. Now, that's something that you don't want to be distributing to nope. any any dictator or any anybody. I mean, if you're if you've got exclusive rights to that, you want to hold on to that for as long as you possibly and can. And as you covered, you want to talk about the strength that they talk about uh, diversity as a strength and it certainly can be in a lot of ways and there's a great example of it with the Manhattan Project. You had uh, Italian, brilliant Italians. You had a uh, uh, I mean people from all sorts of backgrounds, Jewish immigrants, uh, a fellow named Einstein has come over and helped us out with this. So we are taking some of the best and the brightest, and they're giving us this thing. And for four years, it was presumed to be longer because American intelligence and British intelligence, which, by the way, British intelligence, the more you read about them, they are the best at intel ever of all time. There's a reason why Bond is, uh, you know, Bond, I'll put it that way. But uh, they all estimated that the Russians would not have access to uh, an atomic bomb until 1953. The British were even fooled harder. They thought it would be an additional year. So now imagine the shock in everyone's face when the Russians are four years early, okay? Thanks in large part to Julius uh, and the Rosenberg spy ring. And other, other spies beyond these two. But, oh, I mean, totally. There was, there was a and lot of And let's not put of... the Russians down totally. They do pull off a lot of cool shit. Right. Um, so we have some listeners in the Russian Federation. Um, who, if I'm, I'm actually assuming they're spies. If we're being honest, um, <laughs> <laughs> they're listening to this show for their Russian equivalent. Exactly. Uh, Comrade Kohuna, he's a weak point in the leader. <laughs> um, <laughs> he is our go-to. Uh, <laughs> but get this one. So as we got to keep moving forward here, uh, Julius continues his efforts until a slew of arrests are made. He gets fired in 1945, but he's still providing information when he can. He's still using his his spy ring. He's almost a handler with a handler at this right. point. So, His brother-in-law David still hasn't gotten fired exactly. yet. Exactly. So. <laughs> uh, here's the nice part. It's almost like a, a Ponzi scheme. It's like uh, selling, uh, I don't want to put down um, any specific uh, 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 businesses, but you know exactly what I'm leaning towards. It's, well, what you do is you get a bunch of people to work for you, then you're the boss. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, ask Julius about his Mary Kay products. Um <laughs> The first major arrest in the spy ring takes place in 1950. That is five years after he is fired from his position with Fort Monmouth. The initial arrests show more breaches in the Manhattan Project. So when America's like, how the hell did the Russians pull this off, like, way ahead of schedule and without us finding out about it? So they're starting to investigate things. The first two high-profile arrests, they immediately turn over more conspirators. Okay, that's a, hey, well, uh, I'll admit what I did, but I want a deal, and in exchange, I'll give you this. Right. Okay, so the uh, the first couple of guys, you said Flukes was the guy's name? Yeah. Yeah, so he gets arrested. Uh, Then he winds up turning over uh, another fella 
who in turn says, listen, the real guy you want to talk to is David Greenglass. Okay? So he turns him over in exchange for a lighter sentence. And David Greenglass, by the way, Ethel's brother, who had been recruited by Julius for those uh, you know who, who needed a brief recap, Greenglass admits to his crimes and almost too easily, according to who you're talking to, rolled on his own family and decided that he would implicate Julius to the FBI. Lose reception time. You ready? Who's the director of the FBI at this time, Kahuna? It's the only one worth knowing. Oh, Had the God. longest run at the job. A little diminished fellow who they decided to start some rumors about. That perhaps he liked to put on fishnet stockings and walk around. Hoover. J. Edgar Hoover, yeah. baby. You know it. So, um, and again, those are just rumors. We did dispel that one, as hilarious as it would be for the best cop in the country to be uh, uh, wearing, <laughs> you know, fishnet stockings while he broke up organized crime. Um, just singing, I'm just a sweet transvestite <laughs> from Transylvania. Rest in peace, Tim Curry. Um, about a month after Greenglass's arrest, Julius' kids are listening to The Lone Ranger in their apartment in New York, right, yeah. Dad? Or, uh, you know. Um, I think it's an apartment in New York. I might be wrong about that. Yeah, you know, in there, right? The the, uh, the Rosenbergs had two kids, uh, Michael and Robert. Correct. Um, and in 1950, when, uh, during the summer, uh, they come in to arrest um, both Julius and Ethel, their mom and dad. Uh, they are not both arrested at the same time, by the way. No, no. But when they come in to get to put the snatch on dad, the FBI shows up at the apartment. Michael is uh, seven years old at the time. He's the oldest of the two boys. He's seven. Uh, um, research shows that he was listening to the Lone Ranger on the radio. Uh, again, we're, we're not watching this on TV in 1950. Hi-ho, Silver. Dad's going away. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and his younger brother, Robert, is, is three years old. So they're little kids. I mean, they're seven and, and three. Um, they're taking dad away, and then later they're taking mom away as well. About a month later. Yeah. Now um, there's a key. A huge thing happens in between those two. But continue. No, uh, that's that was pretty much it. I don't know what. That's what they were listening to is uh, the, the Lone Ranger. I mean, right. That, just to kind of. Uh, These are American the kids, the times, man. Right. They didn't do nothing wrong. Right. Um, they were brought up in this country, uh, raised in this country. They were American kids by any stretch of the imagination. Exactly. Any so. info on what their futures was like? Or oh, like yeah, they, plenty. Yeah, yeah. Plenty. We'll get there. Um, and don't worry, we are, we are on the, the, the down cycle of the story here. So we're, we're approaching critical mass, and then we'll move on. Um, no worries. But uh, our Patreon listeners deserve the full story. Critical um, mass, that's an atomic energy uh, terminology. Boom, look at that, wow, guys. look at you. Accidentally, wow. I thought... See critical, how that came into our uh, everyday lingo? <laughs> critical mass is also uh, the top button on my pants after Thanksgiving. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. um, but anyway, uh, so Julius is arrested on suspicion of espionage. And less than a month later, though, luckily, he was reunited with his wife, Ethel. Um, well, I mean, not in a, you know, I mean, she was arrested, too. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Reunited. So, <laughs> <laughs> Ethel is accused of being an accessory to Julius's crimes. So get a load of this one. This is where it gets uh, downright fascinating. So uh, I have in my heart when I read about these guys, I was like, oh, they were confirmed that they were spies? Then hell yeah, I'm in complete support of them getting roughed up a little bit. Um, however, more details are going to come out here. Another conspirator, the aforementioned Morton Sobel, okay, he disappears down to Mexico. He uh, is trying to figure out how to get him and his family over to Europe 
and then hopefully maybe to Russia, but he has to do it without a passport. So he can't figure out how to do all this stuff. Um, and he's now living in Mexico City until one night the Mexican secret police knock on his door, place him under arrest, take him and his family back across the border and hand them over to the United States. And they had like a, some trumped up thing where they're like, oh, yeah, he was a bank robber, so we extradited him. Right. So they absolutely violated this guy's civil liberties. But at the same time, in the sake of uh, the interest of, uh, of national security. So there's that weird thing that comes in. Right. So that argument's still going on today. Yeah, uh, and you got to remember, too, in 1950, we're at the height of the Red Scare. I mean, everybody was afraid of the Russians uh, or the communists, right? Um, uh, McCarthyism is coming into place where you've got a, a U.S. senator that's, that's charging people with being communists, which was basically the whole blacklisting of uh, various Hollywood stars and everything else. Which will be a future episode. People are, are, are once the, once the, uh, the Russians ha- have their version of the atomic bomb, now we're into the arms race type of a thing. People are building um, bomb shelters to escape, uh, you know, a, perhaps a, a nuclear um, war with, with Russia, um, a civil defense thing. Or we're teaching kids in, in schools now how to uh, <laughs> survive a nuclear war. I don't know how that was ever termed feasible. but uh, well, I told you, the Russians built bunkers. The United States said, get under your desk. Right, <laughs> right. Um, put your head between your knees. But, uh, um, yeah, so, I mean, there, there's a huge uh, back and forth uh, animosity between these various factions that nobody's really trusting anybody that, you know, do we have commies in the government? Do we have commies in, in the army and the Navy, the military? Uh, you know, the, the Red Scare is, is among us. And it's not too many years before that uh, in the early 1900s uh, within people's um, parents' memory that, you know, uh, some of these communist socialists were blowing up uh, people on the streets. Oh, yeah, the anarchist and, movement. And the anarchy. So, I mean, Sacco and Vanzetti. Right, I, I, another loser inception. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's... The, the sign of the times is uh, we, don't, we don't trust these commies. I mean, another loser exception was with uh, George Patton when at the close of the Second World War, the victory in Europe, uh, Patton was all for going, all right, we just defeated the Germans. <laughs> let's, keep, let's keep right on going and go after the Russians because we're going to be back fighting them oh, within yeah. a few years anyhow. It, so it's we so might weird well, how that happens. We might as well yeah. get it done now while we got the men and materials here. Um, you know, so there was a huge mistrust of the of the Russians and anything anything communist. So they're uh, they're they're interesting guys. A similarity between Russia is uh, and the United States, by the way, is that we have the advantage of an ocean uh, as a barrier for us, and they have just untenable lands that mm-hmm. you really can't crush. Uh, land, uh, Google a land uh, invasion of Russia, and you'll see uh, almost a, a a fail list like none other. Um, but I want to get into the case real quickly here. The case against Julius, pretty strong. It even includes testimony from, again, his brother-in-law and uh, his brother-in-law's wife. Uh, So it's David Greenglass and his wife, Ruth. The prosecution didn't have much to get Ethel on, however. She wasn't arrested until after the initial grand jury hearing. Greenglass's wife, this is where you want to start making your arguments. And by the way, if you want to talk about the, the, is this a current event? It it is as recently as 2016. So uh, check this one out. Um, they decide that they don't have a very strong case on Ethel, but she's got to get punished too, 
we got to make an example out of these people. We got to scare the commies out. You know what I mean? So they decide that even though they have a rock solid case against Julius, they got to figure out a way to get Ethel as well. So uh, Greenglass's wife suddenly, Ruth, mind you, Ruth Greenglass, changes her testimony. She offers a new testimony where she uh, she doesn't come up with new details, but she does. Uh, go into greater detail about a couple of the transgressions of Ethel. Um, the general consensus is that Ethel was definitely aware of the activities and didn't do anything to dissuade them, right? Uh, and again, she also had a lot of the same political feelings as her husband to begin with. But um, her exact involvement uh, all of a sudden changes from uh, handwritten notes or just being present or knowing about things to now being an agent where she was typing out some of the reports that were being given. Uh, about things like the Manhattan Project to Julius. So this new testimony from Ruth incriminates Ethel as being significantly more involved than her earlier sworn statement suggested. Before this, the prosecution wanted Ethel bad but couldn't tie her in as a direct operative. The new testimony changes all that. When R Ethel comes in, and by the way, hilarious Chappelle show sketch, uh, sketch rather, where he just pleads the fifth the whole time. You know, fifth! So <laughs> that is exactly what Ethel does for the entire grand jury uh, inquisition, if you will. And she gets arrested on her way out by FBI agents. She was caught off guard by this, too, by the way. But David Greenglass, Ethel and Julius are all indicted, uh, all now indicted. And Greenglass's wife, the charges just go away. You change your story a little bit. You play ball. Right. You don't got a case anymore. Right. So David's testimony is the damning evidence. He incriminates himself, but also makes sure to fully implicate Julius. The prosecution determines that Julius is the ringleader and that both he and his wife deserved a stiff punishment. Ethel's arrest, mind you, caught her by surprise. She's not even allowed temporary parole for the weekend to try to come up with some sort of arrangements for her kids, which, by the way, I totally get that. It sounds heartless, but, oh, uh, this suspected Russian spy... Uh, is requested the weekend off. <laughs> so um, she's got young kids at home, man. This is wild. We don't know what's going to happen to them. We will cover what happened to them. But uh, to get to uh, the point here, uh, the two of them are now incarcerated and they are awaiting their day in court. So get this. You got Jewish communists, um, some damning proof, and uh, they're nervous. They're, they're, are we going to get a fair shake in this? Remember Sacco and Vanzetti? There was a lot of wild stuff that maybe the judge was a little too harsh on them. Luckily for them, the presiding judge was a fellow by the name of Irving Kaufman. Now, I am not saying, uh, you know, we can kind of figure out where Irving Kaufman's family might have come from, perhaps a religion they might belong to or anything. What does the name Irving Kaufman, what, what does that speak to you, Kahuna? I don't, I don't want to put you in a weird spot, but that's definitely a Jewish-leaning name, right? So he's a Hoffman, Jewish... yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A Jewish judge born in New York City, all right? So a Jew another Jewish guy from New York City, and he's about to try people who are, you know, uh, Jewish, uh, you know, tribes, fellow tribesmen, if you will, uh, <laughs> also from New York City. Interesting side note here. Kaufman had earned a nickname. Did you get into this, LP? No, I didn't. Wild nickname that he got. His nickname... Wow, for, Bill Hickok. <laughs> <The hanging> judge. <laughs> judge Kaufman earned the nickname Pope Kaufman because guess where he went to school? He was an A-plus student in Christian doctrine at the Catholic College of Fordham. 
Oh, Fordham University. So it was a, a Jewish judge that came from a Catholic institution. So um, he's he's got he's a wild card. You don't know what you're getting here. They're hoping for a little sympathy, maybe like, hey, don't we know each other from you know the the club kind of a thing? And uh, the Rosenbergs are persecuted, uh, prosecuted rather, persecuted. Wow, I said <laughs> Freudian slip on that one. Um, but the Rosenbergs, the prosecution is going to be led by a U.S. state attorney named Irving Sapol who has a reputation of taking down spies and Soviets alike. He is the go-to guy for this, all right? Um, the Rosenberg's defense attorney is led by Emanuel Block, uh, or Blo I, I'm going to say Block. I think that's the correct pronunciation. Mm -hmm. And if I'm screwing it up, correct me, all right? Um, he's an attorney with a history of defending communist and left-wing causes. So who do you, it, it's like paint by numbers almost here, right, dude? Right. Right. I mean, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. So. <laughs> exactly. You got to hire Johnny Cochran, man. Um, Kaufman offers no leniency, but presides over a fair trial by all accounts. The Rosenbergs both plead the fifth when asked about affiliations with the Communist Party. Okay. They are both also considered lucid and, and paying close attention to the trial as it progresses. Um, the testimony of Ethel's own brother and other pieces of evidence, combined with the public's anger against espionage by purported citizens and the fear of communism, proves to be more than enough for Irving Kaufman, Pope Kaufman himself, to find both Ro Rosenbergs not only guilty, but gives them the death penalty as well. All right? Yeah. So these two are on their way to death row, baby. Um, now, despite some cries of anti-Semitism, cries for clemency from the Pope himself, okay? So the Pope is asking America to, and keep in mind, this is a pre-JFK um, uh, America, too. So it, it's not like, uh, you know, we, we don't have, we have a weird relationship with the Pope. He's still a, a wizard in a pointy hat to a certain degree, but it's definitely a friendlier version of the, uh, the earlier hostilities. He's asking, hey, America, please maybe don't, please maybe don't kill these two, uh, you know, uh, poor Jewish citizens. Right. So life in prison, but yeah, a lot of people are saying execute them. even the, the people who are staunch anti-communists are saying uh, the death penalty is too stiff. Right. So well, again, we're in a, in a whole different mind shift too. that I shall not kill type of thing goes to our, our I mean, there was a lot of states that were uh, doing away with capital punishment at the same time. Right. So it, it's a it's a whole it's a whole new world here with with all of this uh, spy versus spy. <laughs> Mad Magazine spy versus spy type of thing. But, um, yeah, we're doing it. They're doing it back and forth. And I think uh, one, of the, one of the things that they charged Ethel with to bring her into the whole loop was that she was taking Julius's handwritten notes and then she was typing yes. out the, his secret notes to pass them on to the, to the Russian agents, to the Soviet agents. Um, and I think that was uh, Ruth Greenglass, her sister-in-law. That was her big charge. That right. yeah, she definitely knew what was going on, and it was more than just ignoring what was going on. She was actively engaged in in aiding uh, aiding Julius in his espionage efforts. Efforts. So correct on that one, totally here. Now, uh, interestingly enough, uh, a lot of people are writing letters and speaking out against the death penalty, not necessarily that they don't think they're guilty and they don't deserve life in prison, like you said, but a letter comes uh, asking for um, them to not receive the death penalty from a lot of very famous people. The biggest name that stood out to me, Albert Einstein, okay? A guy who, you know, a father, an architect of the Manhattan Project is saying, I don't want these people getting the death penalty, you know what I mean? 
And most of the pity by the mainstream public was for Ethel, who uh, her her guilt or her you know her actions are still contested to this day. Uh, and as this married couple is now awaiting their execution, there's a very uh, harrowing photo um, of the two of them where they are separated by uh, a fence, you know, a prison fence um, on each side of it as they, they look towards the camera, which will be in the promo on the uh, American Loser Instagram page. Um, major Jewish groups and even the ACLU. That's right. The ACLU is like, listen, uh, ooh, America does not like this communist shit. This is a little bit of a mess for us. I don't think we're going to get involved with it. And uh, the major Jewish groups are saying, no, we, we're we're good Americans. All right. This is a, a couple bad apples, man. We're not going to rally around these guys. So requests for pardons are denied by, I thought this was worth mentioning, not one but two presidents. Right. You mentioned earlier, Dad, that... Uh, you know, FDR, uh, Truman finds out about everything post-FDR uh, passing away in office. Truman, on his way out of office, is offered the chance to pardon them. Decides not to. He goes, not these bastards, right? And then the new uh, incumbent is former uh, Supreme General of the Allied Forces, General Dwight Eisenhower, is now the president. And he denies it upon entering office as well. And uh, he's backed up by the media because right. this is back when the media supported the president. Um, and then uh, also um, he had a strong public opinion backing him. It's not hard to see why a guy like Harry Truman and uh, uh, Dwight Eisenhower, you know, very much involved in World War II, would have some issues with what's going on over here. Sure. And even Judge Kaufman said in his sentencing that he believed what the Kaufmans did was worse than murder based off the global impact that it had in the ongoing Cold War and the tensions building over in a little country called Korea. Right. So uh, campaigns for clemency are unsuccessful. Protests are taking place in Europe, but really much smaller on the U.S. side of things. Um, the French are trying to say that uh, it, it's a, a black mark on them. Keep in mind, too, Europe was in wide support of Sacco and Vanzetti, too. So right. they just got different vibes. There were those, too, who were saying, well, after all, if they're giving the secrets to the to the Russians, weren't the Russians our allies at that point in the war? But, but that's, you know, to me, that's total BS because, yeah. you know, these these guys are now sworn enemies with one another. Um that there is no way that uh, they're they're in it for whatever reasons for the money or for whatever reasons, but um, communist uh, doctrine or whatever they, their own personal take was on this. But um, you know that that was hugely ignored. <laughs> exactly. The consensus of opinion was um, they're gonna they're gonna be executed. They're gonna be executed. They're gonna be executed within two years of their sentencing, which is actually pretty quick when you think about it. Uh, there, there's people that spend a lot of time on death row. Uh, in other certain aspects. Um, but anyway, the state electrician is now on hand to carry out the sentences, okay? Uh, Julius uh, dies initially from the first shock. He's lucky, okay? Now, as you recall, Kahuna, we had some really dark um, discussions. Yeah, kind of sometimes it would take a little bit longer yeah. for certain people. Exactly. So, uh, unfortunately, Ethel's if you want... not as lucky. Well... They figured out a lot. This is not the early days of Edison and Tesla fighting over um, AC and DC currents. Um, Julius dies from the initial shock. So the first shock kills him, but they administer three shocks on the first go-around. Okay? Yeah, I think at that point they they were playing it safe that they were going to zap you not once, not twice, but three times just to make sure that they don't have any of the <laughs> bad publicity that they had with some of the earlier right. electric, yeah. electric chair this, executions. Yeah, it's a more humane way to kill you. Um, right. <laughs> right. So uh, 
100% agree there. So again, the state electrician carries out the first sentence. Julius goes off without a hitch to a degree, dies in the initial shock, but is still given two more as per Just uh, to make sure. yeah, requirements. Ethel is not so lucky. She gets the customary three shocks, uh, and as they take her out of the straps, uh, the doctors on hand determine that her heart is still beating. So she gets shocked two more times until she is now legally declared dead. The doctor on hand is confirmed she's gone. However, witnesses, because executions have to have witnesses, uh, they claim to see smoke rising from Ethel's head. So she got cooked. She got Mike Zapsicked. Um, <laughs> Kahuna just rolled his eyes bad there. Um, so the that was bad even for you. <laughs> as we're wrapping up here, last the, the final minutes of uh, this saga, if you will. The Rosenberg's funeral in Brooklyn is attended by some 10,000 people with their failed defense attorney, Emanuel Block, uh, still pleading their innocence and speak. He opined publicly, by the way, that America was anti-Semitic, that this was a black mark on the nation, and that the country was now in the control of a warlord dressed in civilian garb, uh, a knock on Ike's previous profession. So the president, the general president, if you will, who by all means, very nice guy, pretty calm guy in his presidential. I mean, a lot of golf, a lot of golf. But, um, you know, they, they tried to say, well, he's a warlord and it's it's a whole thing. You'll never find a time when the communists are like, you know, I really don't have much to complain about, actually. Um, <laughs> but the uh, there's a couple of there's another weird Jersey connection here that this 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 per- pulls at your heartstrings a little bit. You're the one who found this LP. You want to talk about uh, what I'm heading what I'm setting you up for with the kids? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, um, what happens again? To the, kids? The, the two boys, Michael is uh, seven and Robert is three at the time of their uh, parents arrest, um, going through the various uh, court cases and everything else. Um, they're now age 10 and 6, so it's three years after the arrest when the parents are finally executed. I did find some reports that the kids went up to Sing Sing to visit their parents while they're in Sing Sing, uh, awaiting their execution, and they showed the kids around for whatever reason. I found some reports that the kids actually saw the electric chair where their parents were going to be zapped uh, within a few days type of a thing so how's that whose idea was that hey guys (laughs) yeah let me show you where your parents are going to end up um but yeah now um neither child had any uh any idea that their parents were soviet spies uh, while they were living their childhood in new york city um uh, the parents were indicted on the 11 acts of espionage uh they get zapped but now the they're um, they're orig- initially sent to live with their grandmother, um, but as the case starts to get uh, national recognition, this national phenomenon, um, she tried to send them off to other relatives, and all the other relatives refused to take them in. So these wow. these kids were in a in a world of hurt. Um, Why would no one? Take they were quoted the, the baggage. The the the, the, the kids. After years later, in 2016, uh, 60 Minutes did an interview with them, um, and there's a lot of things that came to light by that time, by 2016, but uh, they were quoted uh, by 60 Minutes in 2016 that, hey, we were children of communist spies, and being the Rosenberg children in 1950 was almost like being Osama bin Laden's kids after 9-11. 
So I mean, that was the same type of public attitude to uh, oh, yeah. anything that had. Did they change their names? Uh, yeah, they they did end up changing their names. Um, when nobody offered to take them, and none of the relatives were taking them in, uh, the kids were sent to uh, the Hebrew Children's Home in the Bronx, effectively an orphanage, um, and they bounced around from that. And then um, finally, many years later, I think it was 12 years later, um, the kids were uh, adopted by um, um, someone who had uh, communist leanings um, beforehand. Uh, took the boys in. Um, yeah, what the heck is the name? It's a tough name, but it's Abel Miropel, or Miropel. Yeah. Um, who, oddly enough, get this high school teacher, outspoken Communist Party member, and also a, uh, a singer-songwriter who wrote the lyrics to a song called Strange Fruit, which would more famously be recorded by Billie Holiday. Wow. Weird shit. Yeah. Uh, there's a very jarring photo that is also part of the uh, the Instagram uh, stuff for the, the Patreon episode, uh, which has the two boys reading um, out of a... W- w- did we prove what magazine it was, Dad? I'm sorry. The, the photo of the two boys on the beach uh, in I Tom's River. I believe the photo was a, a cover st- uh, shot, a cover photo for uh, the New York Daily News. Yeah, and it was the, them reading uh, about the stay of execution of one day, that the execution was postponed by a single day. Right. Um, and it was the Daily News, you're correct. Uh, and it's the, the photo of the kids. The one, kid, uh, the one kid is wearing a Dodgers T-shirt, which I think they might have been the Brooklyn Dodgers Brooklyn still Dodgers, back then. Still. And the other kid, you can't see it. But it's just two American kids reading the newspaper that's telling them that their parents are going to – yeah, they're not dying today, but tomorrow. Right. So – um, anyhow, uh, as we're wrapping up here, the Rosenbergs are dead now. There's a big uh, a cry um, from a lot of the supporters, not even necessarily supporters, but people who just thought that it was a, a government gone tyrannical on that end. So uh, the boys would spend years proclaiming their parents' innocence, and with evidence as recent as 2008, the boys have now been forced to admit that, yes, Dad was guilty. Okay? But, yeah, well, there was a lot of... Uh, a lot of um evidence that was uh, verified later on as the Freedom Information Act and then with the uh, the communist uh, the, so- the Soviet Union um, being split apart KGB um, evidence came to light that uh, the boys went on a, a lifelong uh, search for a lot of this information and uh, their conclusion was that yeah dad was definitely definitely guilty and uh, more of a, uh, not so much by what he was actually able to sneak out of the country and, and deliver to the Soviets, but the network of spies that he created, uh, bringing other people yeah, into, you don't get into to be, the fold. They don't so. name it after you if you're not involved. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, but Ethel, it seems to be the one where if you have any sympathy for this, uh, these two, that Ethel's going to be the one where you go to. That's where the heartstrings yeah, get there, pulled. Yeah, there's more evidence of the mother's innocence um, with the whole you know, her, her brother, David Greenglass, uh, was pretty much instrumental in her conviction, telling the grand jury that she typed up Julius's notes. Uh, it, and again, that's where um, you know, Ethel's sister-in-law, Ruth Greenglass, um, kind of attributed to that as well um but uh the they they were guilty um with the other thing the thing that came to light too was uh, something called the venona um project 
which was a U.S. counterintelligence group that ran from really from 1943 right up through the 80s that they were able to um, intercept a lot of the intelligence that was going back and forth uh, with the Soviets. Um, and even even that, when that was disbanded in the 1980s, those state secrets, if you will, remained secret until 15 years later. So it wasn't until uh, 1995 when a lot of this shit finally came to light that they had a lot of evidence on, on the Rosenbergs, but they weren't going to release a lot of that at a trial case because that would blow the cover of a lot of other counterintelligence groups right. type of thing. Yeah. So we, we know you're guilty and you're going to fry for it, but uh, we really can't divulge how we know because that's going to blow the cover of a lot of our counterintelligence people. Right. Well, even Morton Sobel, who would later admit um, that Julius was certainly guilty, but Ethel was not involved, though very, very aware. Um, right. David Greenglass himself, uh, he died in 2014. He would later uh, comment on he testified against his sister because he would never pick his sister over his wife. Uh, and then also he refuses to express remorse for choosing so. But he also mentions that the only reason that he felt more comfortable testifying against his sister was because he did not think she would get the death penalty. Uh, the song Julius and Ethel by Bob Dylan is about the Rosenbergs. Calls for a presidential pardon continue and were most recently placed on the desk of Barack Obama as he left office. Uh, the president did not exercise his right to pardon them on his way out. Uh, Roy Cohn, a member of the prosecution who later took credit for the death penalty being issued, would go on to work as a, quote, fixer for uh, Senator Joe McCarthy, okay, a.k.a. McCarthyism. So that is an episode for another day. We'll cover that topic then. We got a casting couch real quick with Kahuna. Um, my friend... Gotta wake him up first. Make the, no, he's he's in. We went long <laughs> on this, but but again, that's that's the problem we're uh, we're, we're dealing with. Um, it's just the heat, man. The heat's starting to get to me. It here. is the heat, dude. It and is warm in here. Also, we want to make sure Patreon guys get their. I think oh, you, that was worth about five to get bucks. Full. You got your five dollars. Mm-hmm. So worth send it. us home on something good here before I wrap up. So, but uh, casting couch with Kahuna. So I was sitting here thinking about it, and I'm not gonna lie, I wasn't thinking about it the whole time. It just it popped into my head for who I would cast as these two. And it just kind of stuck with me. And I was, I'm going to go for Julius, uh, Oscar Isaacs. Okay, I like it. Who is current, who plays Poe in the new Star, in this new Star yeah, Wars movie. He's a favorite of yours. You've thrown him around a few yeah, times. Yeah, because he, he has that look of like old timey that, that could sure work does. really well. Agree. And especially with this, I feel like he could knock it out with some dramatic chops. For the wife, however... I only know she's, she is known as a comedian, but she actually does great dramatic roles. I'm going to go with Jenny Slate. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, hey, if I have to hear Jenny Slate sing one more time, I'm going to also agree the chair should be used. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, those uh, are my okay, two casting couch nah. choices. No really runner-ups. Those are just who I thought would be really good for those roles. I like those, man. And I, I thought if I could add to that, uh, uh, there, there's some really good, uh, if you wanted to make a comedy of this, I would have the uh, prosecuting secretary, uh, I'm sorry, the pr- prosecuting attorney, rather, I would make Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Let me tell you something, brother. These guys. <laughs> I, would, I would just cast everybody as Leslie Nielsen. If still <laughs> also, I just want to make a correction because you scared the hell out of me in the middle of the show Uh-oh. when you said rest in peace, Tim Curry. He's still alive. Well, uh, alive is subjective. Oh, come on. 
Oh, that's fucked. But okay, I hear what yeah, you're saying. I thought he had passed away. I'm wrong then, but I know that he's not had an easy go of it recently. No. For a guy who is, honest to God, money in every movie I've ever seen him in. The fact that he's able to make... Uh, he makes Scary Movie 2 perfect. <laughs> Facts. So, yeah. Dude, when you said it, though, I was like, wait, what? And I'm I, wrong, like, I, I stand freaked corrected. out because I love Tim Curry. He's one of my favorite actors. Oh, he ain't doing anything anymore. Um, <sighs> sad to say on that one. But, guys, thank you so much. That was our first Patreon episode. If you guys have suggestions, stuff you want to see that will get you to continue to support the show, please let us know. We love doing this. We had a blast on this one. We're still going to get the free episodes every Tuesday, like we said. This one's coming out uh, today, actually. I'm going to ask Kahuna to do it for me real quick on the fly. So today is Thursday, May 28th. I'm going to have that bad boy out for you. Um, Thank you so much. Your support means a lot. I'm going to keep my list of the founding losers, if you will. Uh, And we're going to keep rolling on that one. It means a lot. If I missed a name, if you're a founding loser and I forgot about you, message me, all right? At KP Burke sucks on Instagram, American Loser Podcast on Instagram. Call KP, him out. Yeah, KP Burke on Facebook. We have some other stuff we're about to grow. An American Loser channel will be up on uh, YouTube shortly. We have a bunch of other content we're working on. This is uh, you guys are in on the ground floor on this one. All right, this is the original thirteen colonies. I thought it was quite fitting. I think we got more than thirteen patrons right now, uh, so it ruined my my cool segue I had. But check us out here, guys. It means a lot to us. And that was the Rosenbergs, American Losers. the day I was born.